The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the eighth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. At this time of year, we are reminded that one of our, of our, most, one of our most important responsibilities as parents. Yes, on this rally day, we remember that it is incumbent upon us that we make sure our children root for the right sports teams. Am I right? Whether it's Penn State or Michigan State or Michigan or Princeton or Villanova or the Phillies, the Eagles, the Flyers, the Sixers, or in my case, the Red Sox. (laughs) I feel like one of the most important charges I have as a dad and a passionate Boston sports fan, especially now that we don't live in Boston anymore, is to have my kids root for the home team. I remember in 2009, I took our then six-year-old daughter, Ellie, to Fenway Park for her first Red Sox game. Now, the Red Sox actually have a clergy pass program, so you can get this card and you get two standing room tickets for 20 bucks. And so we went and we arrived an hour and a half before the game so Ellie could have the full Fenway Park experience. When we got inside, we made right for the concession stands. We had hot dogs and nachos for dinner with cotton candy for dessert. We walked out on Yawkey Way, which is the street they closed down for pedestrians on game days, and we saw Jim Rice filming the Sox pregame show. I pointed him out to Ellie and said, that's one of our best ball players. He's in the Hall of Fame. And Ellie went, oh, <laughs> pretending that she knew what that meant. We went to the souvenir shop, and I got her a pink Red Sox shirt, 
We walked around the park, stood on top of the green monster. We got to our seats just before game time, and I explained to her the ritual of the first pitch and the call to play ball. I explained the game at its most basic. The idea is to get around all the bases. And so with great care and deliberateness and joy, I planted the seed. I began the process of instilling in Ellie a love and a passion for the Red Sox and Fenway Park. And then just after 15 minutes of play, the heavens opened and it rained. And it rained and it rained and it rained. During the rain delay, I took out my phone and I posted pictures of our Fenway Park experience on Facebook. And a good friend from Divinity School commented on one of the pictures. He wrote, I'm so glad to know you're raising children in the proper faith. (laughs) And I laughed because the Red Sox are kind of a religion. It's become more of a challenge now that we live down here in Philly. It's harder to instill a love for the home team when the home team plays hundreds of miles away and there isn't the same kind of cultural support, nothing on TV or radio or you see billboards down the street. So I have to work a little harder at it, and so far I'm hanging on. No defections yet, at least none that I know of. Um, I had to, to say uh, on, uh, earlier this week, you know, we had the funeral service for Pam McGivney, and uh, there are always these little moments of grace and uh, levity in the midst of sad situations. Uh, and Paul McGivney, as you may know, is from Massachusetts, and uh, his family came down from Massachusetts, and that's how you say it when you're from Massachusetts. Um, and Paul introduced me to every member of his family, and he did it the same way each time. He said, this is Keith, one of our pastors, and he's a Pats fan, Patriots fan. And his family was like, oh, this guy's going to be okay. You know? And then they chatted me up about all the Boston sports thing. It was like, we're just part of the same clan. Um, and all of this instilling this love of sport and for the home team you know, is not that much unlike the sacred trust that we have as parents and people of faith, to instill faith and hope and belief in younger generations. We bring them to our park. We bring them to church or we teach them, or we welcome them with a hope that it will be the beginning of this lifelong relationship with God and the church. We take them around the church buildings and the grounds. We sit with them in worship. We lean over and whisper in their ears, this is what we eat, bread and wine. These are the people on the field, our worship leaders and teachers, our community. And this is why they do what they do. We show them the rituals of when to stand, and how to pray. We introduce them to our Hall of Famers, our saints, past and present. We tell them about how our parents took us to church when we were little. And today we do it against great cultural headwinds in a culture where where now more than ever people believe and practice a variety of things. And instilling faith is not an exact science. It takes a village of people to make it happen. And Like Elliot Fenway, sometimes for them, for a while, it's all about the snacks at coffee hour. Just last night, we were talking about rally day and Sunday school with my kids, and Dulcie said, I love that place because there are snacks. (laughs) Little does she know she's getting formed in the faith at the same time. But somehow it all sinks in and seeps in and becomes part of us. In our first reading from Deuteronomy, it says that we should write God's words on our hearts 
and pass them on to our families, children, grandchildren, future generations. It says, recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, I'm reminded of this passage every day in our house um, because we're an interfaith family. My wife is Jewish, um, and in Judaism, one of the things that you keep in your house is called a mezuzah, uh, and it's a little rectangular box that's often placed um, on the uh, doorframe of your front door. Ours is on the casing between the living room and the stairs, um, but inside the mezuzah, there's a scroll, and there are two passages of Scripture on the scroll, and one of them is this passage from Deuteronomy that talks about dwelling in the Word of God and sharing the Word of God with your family. And I walk by that thing multiple times a day, and it always reminds me to pass it on and to pass it down. And I think that's what this rally day is meant to do for us. Yes, it's the beginning of the Sunday school and church program year, but it's a reminder to us to dwell in God's Word and to continue to grow in faith in ourselves and to pass those things on that we hold dear down to the people we hold dear. After that trip to Fenway, I resolved uh, with my own children to be just as intentional and deliberate and excited to pass on the faith as I was in Fenway Park on that rainy Friday night. There's so much to learn here, and of course, so much more important. After all, we are helping our kids and youth to build a relationship with God and with each other that we hope will last the rest of their lives. And a big part of that, I think, is to be patient and pay attention to the little things. You know, faith is passed on in so many different ways, and sometimes in the ways that we least expect. Um, Why do my kids still root for Boston sport teams? Maybe it's because I wear my hat most days. (laughs) Maybe because it's my own passion for it that they connect with, that it's just part of what I am and part of what I do and part of my passion and they want to connect with that around me. Often in faith, it's the simple words of kindness, simple acts of caring, uh, a knowledge and feeling that you are loved and accepted just as you are, regardless of what the readings are in worship or what the lesson is in class, that we know that we are home. I shared earlier this summer that um, I was going to be reunited with my childhood pastor uh, that I grew up with after 26 years um, since my confirmation. Uh, this, pa- this pastor, Art Cher, was, uh, he did children's time with me and took me all the way through confirmation. And I finally got to see him again after all this time earlier this summer. And he um, was at a conference and he introduced me. And then I kind of reflected back what I remembered about my time with him. You know, the things that I remembered were not exactly what he told me in children's time. And it's not exactly the lesson that he taught in confirmation It was how much he cared about us and how much he loved us and how much he smiled when we came up to the children's time. I remembered how kind he was to my family and especially to my elderly grandmother. Uh, And those are the things that I took away. And when it came time to come back around to church and looking for where that home would be, that was a big part of that decision. There was all the theology and all the ecclesiology and all the liturgy was the people and the caring that that touched me. I think the question at the heart of our gospel reading from Mark today 
is the same question at the heart of our Christian education program for kids and adults. It's Jesus asking them, the disciples, and now us, who do you say that I am? Who do we say that Jesus is? The gospel story goes that Jesus and his disciples were traveling around to all these different villages, and Jesus was teaching and healing and performing miracles. And one day as they're walking between villages, he asked the disciples, what are people saying about me? And he said, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're uh, the second coming of Elijah the prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. And then he says, but what do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps up and says, you're the Messiah, the Messiah foretold in the Hebrew Scriptures, anointed um, a powerful king to put things right, to raise up God's oppressed and establish God's reign. And Jesus says, right. But listen, very soon I'm going to have to suffer and I'm going to have to die and then I'm going to rise again. And then Peter cuts him, almost cuts him off. He says, no way, Jesus, that cannot happen. The Messiah doesn't suffer. The Messiah doesn't die. I won't allow it. And then Jesus gives him the strongest rebuke that we see in the Scripture, get behind me, Satan. It turns out, you see, that Peter only had things half right. As one commentator put it, he had the right title, but the wrong understanding. Peter saw that Jesus was the Messiah, but he didn't know and didn't recognize yet how Jesus was changing what that meant and what it would mean for Jesus and his followers. And as we stand together at another rally day, that question echoes down to us. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus for you now? At different times in our lives, I think we answer that question differently. I remember growing up, I always thought that Jesus was like my Uncle Roger, who had long brown hair and a beard uh, and was just an easygoing and free spirit. Jesus was friendly and smiled a lot and was loving and kind. And then at the beginning of, the high school, of beginning of high school, Jesus was more like the statue of him at my Catholic school that I went to for a while, kind of cold and impersonal and standing still as the world was rushing by. When I moved down south, Jesus became my personal savior. In divinity school, he was a rule breaker and a radical. When I joined back up with the Lutherans, Jesus was more like a wounded healer, dying and suffering for our sake. And more lately, I'm drawn to the Jesus that was immersed in the details of everyday life. Jesus is so many different things, which makes him so interesting and fascinating and approachable, and also makes him hard to pigeonhole. With Jesus, there isn't some place that we get to, some answer that we arrive at, and that's it, and we've got it. Like any relationship, it's evolving as we continually learn more about Jesus and ourselves. And yet we often want our relationship with God to remain the same. Perhaps it's because all the other relationships in our lives are constantly evolving and changing, are filled with so many beginnings and endings. Curiously, it tends to be religious people, the people that often know Jesus best, that fix him into place, like that statue outside of my old high school. At some point, Jesus becomes one thing for us and stays that one thing for us. We only think of him in just one way, like Peter did. But the moral of the story, I think, is that while God may ever be the same, our relationship with God is not. And so our answer to that great question, who we say Jesus is, changes 
is the subject of our limited and partial understanding. It always involves an element of mystery and unknowing. That's why we gather for adult forum and gather for worship and Bible study and prayer and reflection and God on tap or the coffee shop to discover and to rediscover who Jesus is for us here and now today. Peter's lesson for us, I think, is that the only mistake we can make in thinking about who Jesus is is to think that we know. For Jesus always surprises us, and that is the source of his grace. And so on this rally day, I invite you not only to engage the faith of our children and youth in this congregation, but to do it for yourself as well, and to begin with Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? Amen.